what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. My name is Alan. Across from me is Chris. Hello, everyone. Chris, how's everything going with you today? Things going well. Going well. Looking forward to uh, our discussions today. Yeah, we're ready to talk about some films and some upcoming film projects and some recommendations and all that fun stuff. What we do in our show, and we're going to keep to that same format this episode, is we will review two films today. The first will be the latest uh, Mission Impossible entry into the franchise. It is Mission Impossible Fallout. Then we'll follow that up with a discussion about the documentary Won't You Be My Neighbor, which is about Fred Rogers, the eponymous Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood's uh, children's show. Then we'll move on to some movie news items. We have a few trailers that were released recently that we're going to talk about and analyze and pick apart. Then we'll move into a couple other news items about some upcoming productions. And then we'll finish out the show with a recommendation of a film that we feel like you ought to go check out if you have a chance and you're looking for something to do in the upcoming weekend or just uh, a film you want to find online that maybe you might have overlooked or missed or forgotten about. So with that, Chris, we got a full show, a lot to go through. So why don't we just go ahead and jump right in and get started? Let's do it. All right. Our first review is the latest from Mr. Tom Cruise. It is Mission Impossible Fallout. Your mission. Should you choose to accept it? I wonder, did you ever choose not to? The end you always feared is coming. And the blood will be on your hands. The fallout of all your good intentions. In Mission Impossible Fallout, which is, by my calculations, the sixth Mission Impossible film. I think I got that right. I think that's right. Ethan Hunt and his IMF team, along with some very familiar allies, race against time after a mission gone wrong. That's the one-line summary. I'll expand on it just a little bit more. Uh, Ethan Hunt, obviously a member of the IMF. The uh, What does IMF stand for? Does he remember... I was- I, the only thing that I know it stands for in the real world is International Monetary Fund. No, I don't, <laughs> I don't think that's the name of their is. group. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm sure it has something to do. Mission Force. Impossible Mission Force. That Let's go with really that. Hokey. that but, but you was, know what? Let's work with that for now. This thing was developed in the 60s as the TV show, right? Yeah, it could so, be. Could impossible be. Mission Force. Well, the IMF team, we are, we are presented at the beginning of the film where we see that uh, a mission kind of goes astray and it actually leads to some very severe consequences for the world as a whole. And so Ethan Hunt and his team are really trying to fix this problem and trying to uh, recover some lost items and making some alliances along the way. It's a typical Mission Impossible film plot-wise. Here's the things that are a little different this time around. We have a returning director for the first time, Christopher McQuarrie, who directed the last entry, which was Rogue Nation. 
so far in these six films, the first five were all by different directors. This is the first time we've had a returning director. I also think this may be the first one of the entry that actually starts to carry on some semblances of storylines from previous films. The previous five have been more or less standalone independent. This one does try to have some connective tissue to the previous films. We have Tom Cruise starring again as Ethan Hunt, the lead of this team, and he has been the kind of constant throughout the entire series, along with Ving Rhames, who also plays uh, Luther Stickwell. He's also been in all six of these films now. Other than those two, things change from installment to installment. And Luther's like alligator hat or whatever, that's also been in all the... I think the hat has been. It's you know. listed in IMDb as a, as a, with, a, with a cast credit. So, yes, I assume so. <laughs> Luther's hat. Yeah. So, Chris, with Mission Pencil Fallout, and, and, I, and I hate asking these questions in our reviews, but I don't see any way around it. This film is being touted right now as one of the best action movies ever made, one of the best movies this year, the best Mission Impossible of the entire series. That's a lot of praise to throw on this movie. You and I saw it last night. Mm-hmm. Still fresh on our brains. Right. Let me just ask you pure reaction. Is Are we talking a lot of hyperbole here? Are we talking a lot of overdone hype for this film? Or do you think any of it is warranted from what you saw last night? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think the hype train is in full gear. Is it the best Mission Impossible movie ever made? Yeah, let's start with that question first. That may be you a, know, the I'd easier one. I'd have to one. go back and review them. Um, because for me regardless of how good these movies are, there've been six of them. I pretty much forget them the moment the credits roll and I walk out of the theater or mm-hmm. in the case of ghost protocol, when I fell asleep on the couch, um, <laughs> because I wasn't, didn't really, that one didn't really hold my attention, but maybe it was cause I was watching at home. I was going to say, I think the key word the was on the couch. Right. Might've been the problem there. Yeah. Um, the sure. other, the other installments, I think I actually did see in the theater. So for ghost protocol was the one I didn't see in the theater. Um, but I just typically forget them. Interesting that you mentioned the whole, like, this is the first one that seems to actually make efforts to try to tie back themes from other movies or storylines. I was a little lost, not totally lost, but because I, it kind of, I was reminded of things, but I was kind of surprised by that because I, you know, usually, for example, a Star Wars movie, I'll review the previous mm-hmm. installment before I go see it because I know like, Hey, I better refresh myself. Cause you know, I've slept a couple of times in mm-hmm. between seeing these movies. So for Mission Impossible, I didn't bother because, like you said, I didn't really think it would matter. It's like, yeah, it's Ethan Hunt running around saving the world. What what more do I need to know? Um, this one, yeah, maybe. Maybe there were a couple of things you might have wanted to kind of refresh yourself on. But I thought that was that was a nice surprise. Okay. Um, so in that aspect, maybe I think like you and I think a lot of people that have – it's like the common opinion of the franchise. The third one that was directed by J.J. Abrams, I would say is probably the best – Maybe I'd have to go back yeah. and see it. But then falling right below that might be this one because okay. I, I do like this one a lot. I think I like this one better than the one that came right before it. I yes. think. But they're going to have to see it again. So that that's kind of where it stands within the franchise. Um, so where let, it stands so, within best action movie Well, ever I was going to say. So I'm Absolutely kind of, not. I'm <laughs> summing up what you're saying. Sure. The Mission Impossible franchise as a whole is pretty lower tier for your from your preference in general. And, but and it, this it, may be one of the better ones of that group, but you correct. Know. And you know, full disclosures, anybody who's never listened to an episode of this show before, just the action genre. It's not what I typically it's go not, to the theater It's not for. Chris's main thing. So yeah, for me to say this, yeah, just because, yeah, I'm not a good judge of, I mean, I can 
for me what makes a good action movie, but I don't typically seek them out. Mm -hmm. But if I was trying to be fair and say, how can you justify saying this isn't one of the greatest action movies ever made? Well, I think of something that I've talked about and recommended on the show within the past year, Atomic Blonde. Mm -hmm. That, to me, had more as far as one of the best action movies ever made. It was stylish in in addition to the way the action was handled. Now... That's a whole point of discussion that we'll probably get to and you'll, we'll discuss here on the show about Mission Impossible, the franchise, how action sequences are handled, and specifically how Mr. Tom Cruise handles the action sequences. Sure. So I've got some discussion points on that. But you know, in general, that's my response to one of the best action movies ever made is mm, not that it's a bad action movie, but I would not lock You don't put it up on the higher echelon at all. Absolutely not. Um, so I, what, what's your take on sure. some of those um, I had a really good time with this film. I am generally more amenable to the action genre than you are. Right. I am okay with two hours, in this case, two and a half oh hours. Oh, my goodness. I'm okay with two and a half hours of good action sequences stitched together with a very thin plot, or in this case, a very complex plot. I'm okay with that. Uh, I like James Bond films. I like 007 films. I like good thriller films. I like good action movies. And this this was a very good action movie. I'm with you on the where it falls in the Mission Impossible franchise. Okay. Number three, the J.J. Abrams one is my favorite. Okay. I feel like it has more personality and it has more interest, interesting uh, dynamics to the film, very unique from the other ones. Um, but this one has is at second. I think it's better than the last two installments. I think it is better than Rogue Nation. It's better than Ghost Protocol. It's definitely better than number two, which was the uh, John Woo one, which was the worst. Really, (laughs) I I just don't think a good film. And it's better than the Brian De Palma original, which I like the Brian De Palma original for its style, but boy, oh boy, don't even try to get me to explain the plot of that movie. It is overly complex and confusing. So I generally like the Mission Impossible movies. Gotcha. I was more excited to see this one than I had been the last two or three. Interesting. Um, because of the returning director? Because of the returning director, because I'd heard that they were actually going to try to carry on some storylines, because it seemed to be more of an outgoing story as opposed to just, let's just put a whole bunch of action set pieces together and do something with it. Mm-hmm. I felt like there was actually more development in this film than we've seen the last couple. So I liked it. I had a good time with it. I thought it was a very good action movie. I will say the last 20 to 30 minutes of this film are great action. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. Hmm. I love the last 30 minutes of this film. I thought the middle sequence of the film, there was a lot of extra padding and a lot of stuff that should have been trimmed out and sped up. This movie could have been a lot shorter. But that last 30 minutes, I feel like, was extremely, extremely exciting and fun. I had a great time with it. So, um, overall, yeah, I liked the film. Had a good time with it. One of the better Mission Impossibles, for sure. Um, Is it one of the best action films? You know, uh, it's probably, for me, the best action film this year. But that's also saying I haven't seen that many true action films this year. Um, of all time, no, I can think of 10 right off the hand, or off bat that are much better. So, uh, but it's still good. Uh, and maybe the marketing department got a little overzealous with some of their promotion of the film. But I do think it's a very, very good, well-made, very competently made action film that uh, if you are a fan of this type of film, I think you'd really appreciate and have a good time with this. What's interesting, too, I feel like, you know, what happened to the good old days when movies could just come out and there wasn't 
backlash hype or, you know, there wasn't too much hype. There wasn't backlash hype. There yeah. wasn't hi- backlash to the backlash. All this drama that seems to come out with movies now, like you have the whole Last Jedi type stuff. And with this film, prior to the movie even coming out, there was a lot of rumblings about, oh, people just don't give the Mission Impossible franchise a fair shake. Mm-hmm. People are down on it because of Dom, Tom Cruise, and you know, they just don't realize what a great franchise this is. All the movies are consistently good, and you know, just all this hyperbole, like you mm-hmm. mentioned. And you know, I just saw several people giving it five out of five stars and all these type of things. And so, but me not being, like you say, such a huge fan of action movies, I'll see them, but I'm not, yeah. you know, that big into them. And not being a huge fan of the franchise, I was kind of like, okay, this is going to be Citizen Kane of of action movies. So, I, I think that's a disservice. I, I think, unfortunately, that that kind of hype is a disservice to sure. the movie going public, just like trailers can be. All that. It, it's tough. It's really tough to go into a film with no expectations and just to be going in with a, with a blank slate and see what they put up on the screen for you. Um, but I will say to kind of counter that, that, that mentioning, yeah, while I feel like the hype is overdone, um, as I look at the overall body of work of these franchises, I mean, I try to think back on franchises that have been fairly consistently good movies. May not be the best of their genre. May not be top of the year. But consistently good. It's tough to have six films. Well, I say five out of six because I still think Mission Impossible 2 is garbage. But five out of six films in a franchise to be consistently good. Even the James Bond films, I don't think ever achieved that. Because even though you'd have two or three really good and then all of a sudden you'll just have a really bad dud film. The Mission Impossible has been pretty consistent. And uh, outside of Star Wars, outside of what Marvel's doing with their franchises, outside of... I mean, I guess recent James Bond with uh, Daniel Craig because the last couple have been good. Mo- they've been Most more good lately than not. Right. Outside of those two or three franchises, I mean, this is this is up there as far as quality, as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, does it do anything really interesting and daring other than what it tries to do with, with more authentic stunts? Not really, but, um, you know, but it is a good, well-made, ex- fun, exciting thrill ride of a film that gives the audience kind of what it needs and what it's looking for there. When I think that's, I like originality in film, you know, a lot of times, if anything, that's what kind of takes me out of the action genre. Cause I feel a lot of times with the exception of something like John wick. And I hear about that and I'm like, okay, this is supposed to kind of be a standout or an atomic blonde. Okay. This is supposed to be different. I'll go see it. And I usually end up liking them with this franchise specifically with this film. But I think it's been slowly building since maybe, Ghost Protocol, maybe? I can't But the whole Tom Cruise do-it-yourself stunts. I don't know if he's done that from the very get-go oh, or no. that came around between I mean, like the Actually, I can remember the very first Mission Impossible. Some of, you remember there was a, a sequence like in a train yes. tunnel? Horrible, like, chroma key. You know, okay. uh, just, you could tell it was not authentic at all. And I don't think it was authentic with uh, a lot of the stunts in the second one with John Woo. Okay. I don't know about the J.J. Abrams, but I do think by Ghost Protocol, it's like, yeah, Tom Cruise is going to do his own stunts. And we're going to really make these about spectacle and big action set pieces that Tom is putting himself in constant danger to do. (laughs) Okay, so here's the thing. Yeah. Um, With that, I kind of – there again, I feel like it's such a PR move. 
And by now it's kind of worn thin. Yep. So unless Tom Cruise is doing the stunts for everybody in the movie, sometimes with a wig, it's not going to matter to me <laughs> mm-hmm. because it's, it becomes more like a discovery channel Mythbusters, where here's how this guy achieved this stunt. And it's distracting to me because it's like, okay, it, it takes me out of the movie because mm. the way it's shot, you can tell because they don't use a lot of cuts. You're like, okay, yeah, that's really Tom Cruise. And he's dangerously trying to climb up this rope. And I know he doesn't die because that would have made the news. <laughs> so there's no, there's no like, there's no thrill to it really. Now, why does he do this? I don't, in my head, it's kind of like, I wonder if he has kind of a Mel Gibson complex where Mel Gibson likes to depict, or so you hear, lots of close-ups of bloody violence and stuff like that because it just, he thinks he wants you to really experience or whatever. Tom Cruise, it's like, I'm not, or is it, I'm never going to get an Oscar, so I'm going to prove everybody how dedicated I am. I have a theory. It's like, it just, it kind of drives me nuts. Well, (laughs) it it doesn't bother me. Actually, I like it. And, And I'll tell you why, because I guess... And we've talked about Tom Cruise before. Yeah, I I yeah. put everything personal aside. I, I try not to when I'm evaluating somebody's work on film. Mm-hmm. I don't try to think about what I hear gossipy, personal stuff, tabloid stuff, all that. You got to set that aside. Tom Cruise to me is the, is the quintessential entertainer. Is he an actor? No, I don't think he's an actor anymore. I think he's an entertainer, uh-huh, okay. and I think his whole goal in his career is to entertain and to have people see what he does and be admiring of what he does and be astonished by what he does. That's his role. Now. I think he's realized, like you said, he's not going to win the Oscar. Right. If he didn't win it for Magnolia, he's not going to win it. Interesting. You bring that up yeah. and you point to that. That's the one thing that you could say, what's the role that you liked of his? That's what I would pick out. I mean, Magnolia, he didn't win the Oscar and I think he should have, cause that was a brilliant performance. And there's been a couple other roles he's had where I thought, you know, he, he, he was pretty good in that. Jerry Maguire, I thought he was really good as an actor. Um, you know, he, he's, a, he's a good he, – he's been a good actor in the past. He's an acceptable actor now. I mean, and that's something I'm going to talk – you know, with this film, the last two films in particular, I mean, Tom Cruise has just been a placeholder for an archetype, Ethan Hunt – and it's been focused more on how much action and running can Tom Cruise do. And that's fine. But you mentioned the last 30 minutes of this film. Tom Cruise flight school with the really pathetic dialogue grated on my nerves. And that's where I was like, okay, I don't know if it's an example of bad script or bad acting or like. All right, well, let's let's talk about this because I, I actually think this, this keys into something I thought was kind of interesting in the film. It's both a positive and a negative for me. Okay. The positive of it is I think they tried to do started to do something a little more interesting with his character in this film that I liked. But then my dislike is that they didn't go far enough with it to actually make it meaningful. Kind of like I think you pointed this out with maybe the previous film or some some film that Tom Cruise. Oh, uh, Edge of Tomorrow, Mm -hmm. where it's like. He's fallible. He's yeah. not perfect. Like in this I, one, he gets hit with the motorcycle and falls down. And yeah, well, okay. no, but even not even talking about the stunt side. This movie, there is a, and we won't get a spoiler on it, but there is a plot line behind going on where he made a mistake. He did something that has now caused a really big issue for the world safety. Right. He's. And normally, I think this has happened in past Mission Impossible I mean, movies where he's, say it. something he happened. He saved Ving Rhames' hat. That's right. The hat is saved. He saved the hat. You know, I, I, I've seen 
past movies of his where he, his character does something that causes a big incident and now he's got to fix it. So that's not a unique right. approach. But I actually felt like this movie was the first time in a while that I've seen him actually seem like there's some level of remorse to it. Hmm. There's some level of guilt. And then there's a also a plot that kind of comes back in at the end that I think does elevate his role a little bit and develops his role a little bit of a past character important to his life that does enter back into the scene. I think in a kind of a interesting way that works it, for the if plot. If it hadn't been so telegraphed. I didn't pick up on oh, it. Oh man. I maybe, didn't pick up on it at all. Maybe it's just the fact of seeing too many movies. No, but. I didn't pick up on it at all. And when it, when it, when I realized what was happening in setting up that last big action scene, I'm like, Oh, that's Okay. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, it was, and, it was telegraphed, well, me, which was too bad. But even then, his character changed a little bit at that point. And I know you're commenting on the him flying the helicopter in the last 30 minutes and it being a lot of him talking and kind of... Uh, I like that. I actually think it was... <laughs> for once, I actually felt like Ethan Hunt was a human being and not an autonomon that was just going through the motions and doing what, what Mission Impossible requires him to do. I wish they had gone deeper with it. I wish it had been a little more character development of his of him as an individual. Right. They hinted at it, and I really admired that they were going that direction, but I was disappointed they didn't go far enough along, and it came off as kind of half-baked what they're trying to do with this character. And it, it didn't work for me, and maybe if they had committed more fully to it, maybe it would have worked for me. Maybe I think it would have. I really do. And I think I was, just, I was just happy to see something happening that was a little more on the character development side. Just disappointed that it just kind of petered out by the end. And I didn't really feel like we got quite the, uh, quite the development from his role that we, we were getting a little hints of earlier in the film. I think, you know, to say the action sequences are bad, I don't think that's true. It's just, I didn't respond to them. And maybe it's just the whole nagging. This is him really doing his own stunts. I think that got in your head a lot. It was just, it was distracting. It took me out of the film. Um, to say the sequences are bad is, is not true. The helicopter stuff, um, the, you know, the beginning, you know, it's just, I, I jumping out of a plane, you know, fallout, yeah. <laughs> he fell out of a plane. So there's stuff there, but the thing is what like affected me the most. And, you know, you hear all these scenes hyped and yeah, got in my head, didn't enjoy them or just was kind of over tedious, thought they were tedious. The thing that stuck, struck out or stuck out to me the most was without spoiling anything there's an important scene that takes place in the bathroom. I oh, like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. I thought that the, the fight choreography, the stuff that oh, happened, yeah. like it was, and it had a little bit of Tom Cruise, not always getting everything. See, right. Yeah. Actually, that was <laughs> so, the first time in the film where we saw, hey, okay, he, you know, not only has he kind of messed up, right. I'm talking about like the first 10 minutes, right. he, his team makes a mistake and it causes right. some repercussions, but yeah. And then the bathroom fight scene, which I do agree was pretty, it, that was my pretty favorite. exciting. That was my favorite. In the film. And it did start to show some real, like him being a human being, like, right. you know, something kind of goes a little wrong. They, they, they kind of get blindsided by somebody they're fighting. I mean, just a lot of things. It was not a, I'm not a perfect secret agent and can just do everything miraculously. Things are actually happening to me and I'm kind of getting the crap beat out of me a few times too. <laughs> that started to happen. That was encouraging to me. And then I do think, uh, all right. And you're probably going to roll your eyes at this scene, but I thought, I thought it worked for me. There was a scene where we have Ving Rhames actually having a discussion 
with Rebecca Ferguson's character. Spoiler, she is in this movie. But she is in this movie. The previews, you know she's going to be. And I like her a lot. She was a little less used in this film than she was the last one, and I wish we'd had a little more for her to do, but I thought she was still, when she was on the screen, she was really good. The scene you're referring to, I am rolling my eyes a little bit about that, and that's because it. I think I can point to that as some of the reasons why things were telegraphed. Okay, um, see, I and can, I, I, I didn't pick up on that. Machinery, well, and I could hear the machinery, like, Tick, yeah, tick, I, uh, my so. thing though is that that was where they're starting to pull. They have a dialogue about Ethan, and it kind of filled in some gaps for me as far as what's transpired with him in his personal life, which I didn't quite remember. Maybe that was hit on in the previous films. I didn't really remember it, but I started to get a little bit of a. You start to get a little bit of a semblance of why he is the way he is. Again, promising. I just wish it had been explored more deeply in the rest of the film. But again, I do applaud that there at least were some elements to want to break him out of that mold and do something a little bit more of a development with his character. So well, I, I, I liked where they were trying to go. I was just disappointed they didn't go far enough with it. I, so, yeah, I can say it didn't work for me. There was something yeah. else that was I thought was kind of surprising. Um, a lot of big names in this. Angela Bassett is one. She has some voiceover towards the end of the film that I was like, what? What? What are you doing? Like, uh, why are you narrating this little? Se- it just yeah, that didn't really make didn't, any sense. Didn't work, and I was kind of I was surprised. But like you say, I'd, um, Rebecca Ferguson being in it, I liked her character She's in the good. previous film. She was good in this. Simon Pegg, I always like him anyway. He's good in this. Henry Cavill. Let's, <laughs> let's talk, talk about, about Henry let's Cavill. talk about him. Um, I liked him. I thought he was good, but I thought he was from a different movie. Um, I was totally cool with that because I actually like the, here's the thing I was going to, one of my big, my big dislike of the film is outside of some of the supporting characters. I I think the villain is always typically weak in these films. Mm. This is not uh, where at least with the James Bond films in the past, they've had villains with a little more, just, you just remember them. Right. Like for example, Skyfall, uh, Javier Bardem. Right. Oh Yeah great villain and like you just you walked out of the movie you remembered the villain right Mission Impossible movies I can't really remember any other villain and See, this movie I can't either but I thought that was just because it was I'm not a huge fan of the series no it's really not it's just the villains have never been the, the key point except Philip Michael uh, uh, Philip Seymour, Seymour Hoffman in Mission Impossible 3 that's why I love that movie so much is probably because it has such a memorable villain and he's so good gotcha. in that role so all right Henry Cavill plays kind of the antagonist to Ethan Hunt. They're paired together, and he's there as kind of a checks and balance kind of guy for him. So they're different personalities. They have different styles of, of getting the job done. He's meant to be there as kind of that ant- antagonistic relationship with him. Right. And I thought he was having a blast with that role Henry Cavill was. I Yes, it did seem a little out of place from the rest of the film. That's fine because it was somebody memorable, somebody with a really interesting personality. It was just like in a different style altogether. Yeah, to be anywhere else, and not that it was bad, and he didn't do a bad job acting. I was just kind of like, huh. I really like. I just I think Henry Cavill was having a really good time with this role. I liked him better. This was the mustache that caused a problem. It was. This was the mustache that (laughs) caused Justice League all the CGI redo and all the (laughs) angst they got for that. Oh, I like him so much better in this film than I did any of the Superman roles he's played so far. He just, he seems to be having more fun with this role. I liked him better in this role. Hmm. Um, okay. So yeah, I, he's a strength for me. Rebecca Ferguson's a strength. I think Tom Cruise is a, is a strength as an entertainer. Um, 
I'm one who is pretty amazed by the stunts and the action scenes. They still get me. I'm still good with that. And I'm kind of bought into the hype on that. Um, I just thought the villain or villains were weak in general. Uh, I just think not as memorable as I wish they were. And, uh, and I just, I hate that they hinted at this character development for Ethan Hunt. The main character just never really followed through with that. Never really embraced that. That was my big takeaways as far as some things I wish they would have done differently. I would love to see a Mission Impossible movie where they have a really amazing bad guy. Someone who's ambiguous and conflicted and interesting charisma. And we just haven't had that. I mean, again, last two movies, I couldn't tell you anything about the, two, the villains from there. And like you, it took me a while to even realize that the villain at the beginning of this film is the same one that was from the last movie. Right. Like, I didn't remember that because right. I didn't remember him from the last movie. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah. That's my issues with the film. It, it's definitely not a perfect film. I think there's some things they could have improved on, but I think the action is really strong. I think this is probably the more competently made Mission Impossible film, and uh, and I think they had some interesting traces of things they were trying to do with the franchise that I wish they had followed up on a little bit more. Yeah, I'm on the I I liked it a little less than you. Yeah, but then again, you know I'm not as big a fan of the franchise. So or right. the genre. So yeah, but. I will say this: if you're a fan of action movies, if you're a fan of the Mission Impossible movies, absolutely oh, yeah. yes, you will love this movie. My summer, you know, not necessarily memorable, but it's definitely enjoyable. Yeah. So yeah. if you're not a fan of action movies, or if you're looking for something a little more unique and a little different, yeah, you're not really going to find it here. Okay, <laughs> this is this is pretty much you know. Uh, copy and paste from previous films, but let's bump it up a little bit more. Let's get a little better action. Let's get a little better storyline, maybe. And that's what we've got. So, right. okay, great. Good enough. Mission impossible fallout is, uh, starting today as of the day we're recording this. I'm sure it'll be out for quite a while. Um, and it'll be at, I'm sure any multiplex nearby that you may have in the coming weeks. And I'll say, you know, <laughs> to key off my complaint of ghost protocol. Yeah. If you are interested do go see it in the theater. These are definitely theater movies. Because, they are know, not action they, sequences that, you know, some of the ones no. that Alan was really responding to. Yeah. They look, they do look interesting and incredible, but seen at home on the small screen, probably not as impressive. Out, so. Now that you mention it, I think ghost protocol is the only one I have not seen in the movie theater either. Huh. I saw it at home and I was a little less than enthusiastic about it. And I think that may have something to do with it. Okay. So, all right, well, let's move on to a film that is a, a, a very different type of film, but is another, just like I see Tom Cruise is kind of a, a, a hero in cinema, the quintessential entertainer. We have another hero in my mind of uh, the American culture, and that's Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, documentary about him titled, Won't You Be My Neighbor? I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Me Won't you be my neighbor? Well, I suppose it's an invitation. It's an invitation for somebody to be close to you. The greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Won't You Be My Neighbor, the latest by Morgan Neville, the director who actually won an Oscar for mm -hmm. 20 Feet from Stardom. He does give us an exploration of the life, lessons, and legacy of the iconic children's television host, 
Brad Rogers. And on the previous episode, we reviewed an action movie, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and then we reviewed a documentary, RBG, about Ruth Bader Ginsburg. This this uh, episode, we've done an action film in our first segment, mm-hmm. and here we are doing a documentary in the second segment. How do you feel uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor captures Fred Rogers um, and lends itself to be a documentary as opposed to a narrative? Mm-hmm. And, you know, as far as what you got out of RBG, you discussed, what did you get out of Won't You Be My Neighbor? Sure. So um, this was a good documentary that I think is aided enormously by a sense of nostalgia that many people in the audience are going to have. I mean, this thing is rated something like 99% Rotten Tomatoes right yeah. now. So, And it's, it's a well-made documentary. Okay. It is very clear. Uh, you know, of course, we're talking about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, the children's show that ran for many, many years. Fred right. Rogers was the, the star of that show. Um, the, the documentary does take us from the early days of him getting involved in children's television to begin with kind of uh, deciding between becoming a, a pastor or going into the television. And then you see the progression of the show and how it became bigger and more popular and more influential. And then uh, his decision you know, later on to stop doing the show and kind of the, the uh, legacy that's being left behind afterwards and after passing his, his passing. Um, it's very clear the director, and I think this is evident in, in 20 Feet from Stardom as well, okay. is very much in love with the subject of his documentary. Gotcha. And that's fine. Because if we're going to love anybody, it needs to be Fred Rogers. Hmm. However, I do feel like the documentary, while a great documentation of his show and him as a person, there wasn't a lot of, to me, there wasn't a lot of meat to it. I felt like I was watching maybe a very, very well done film about his legacy and his foundation and his things that are left behind from the people that are, that were very involved in his life. Would I have liked to have seen a little more, maybe some understanding of why he really, what really drove him to use television as the channel he wanted to use. It was alluded to as mentioned kind of in passing, but I never really felt like I understood why this show format, why this vehicle as opposed to other ways I could have impacted the lives of children and education. I would have liked to see a little more of that. This is a subject matter where I, I don't think, at least from not from the film, it did not seem like the Mr. Rogers uh, neighborhood show ever faced any real challenges. <laughs> well, and the one that they did um, was one of the more interesting points of the film, not necessarily the show, but public television overall was facing a funding, the question. funding cut. Yes. But you know, Mr. Rogers role in it, there was no real, I mean, I never got a sense of, challenge and now now there again i don't want the documentary to artificially make challenges if they're not there so he really it seemed like he had a i i created a show it caught on people really responded to it it grew yes pbs in general had some funding shortage challenges but we overcame that and we continued to make the show great and then i can walk away gracefully there's not a lot of drama there. There's right. not a lot of challenge. There's not a lot of things that would make a narrative. So the idea of making a narrative of this, no, there's no Couldn't need for happen. it. It's, you know, the whole reason you would watch a narrative is there's got to be conflict. There's got to be drama. There's got to be stakes. And there wasn't any. Sure. But as a docu- as a documentary, if this is telling the true story of, of the evolution of the show, it did that just fine. Um, I just, I couldn't help but sometimes feeling like I was watching more of a very high production level not a not a 
like an in memoriam type film about Fred Rogers. And again, I got the same sense from 20 feet from stardom where the director was very much enamored by the people he's trying to profile. And we don't need to go into any too much challenges. We don't need to go too many warts that may be there. But again, I don't think it was Fred Rogers. There probably wasn't really any to go through. So, sure. you know, it, it's tough. It's a very, very good documentary. I do think it's going to speak a lot more to people who have the nostalgic feel for the show. Somebody who's not familiar with the show, I just don't know if they're really going to get much out of this. Yeah, so. I'd agree because I think, in a sense, if you don't have the relationship with the show, because the documentary, while good, I feel like it is surface. So mm-hmm. if you don't have that nostalgia there to help your understanding of what they're talking about or to help you appreciate the behind the scenes, the little that you do, then it doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. I the nostalgia with this film, although you know I hadn't thought about Fred Rogers and I don't know how long. Sure, yeah, <laughs> but, same here. Um, you know, probably since I was in you know elementary school was the last time I even thought about Mister Rogers. But the nostalgia factor definitely played yeah. a part in my enjoyment of the film. I did like it quite a big deal. Um, I don't think I have cried as much <laughs> in a documentary. I don't think I've cried as much in a documentary ever, and I don't remember having problems not crying in a movie theater as much as this ever. Wow. And it just, I think it comes down to, um, yeah, I was nostalgic for the material, but even though this film is not political, um, we live in obviously, you know, kind of charged times where there's a lot of disagreement and there's a lot of tension. Um, and this film, you know, obviously from the title, won't you be my neighbor? Um, which, you know, the answer is usually, yes, sure. Thank you for well, asking. Well, it'd be nice if it was. <laughs> it'd be nice if it was. I don't think and we I hear think that answer quite as often as we'd just like. Just civility and yeah. um, just seems like in today's discourse, a lot of times it's not there. And so my fondness for that and my nostalgia for, quote unquote, air quotes here, simpler times or simpler way of handling things, yeah, it did cause me to really respond to the film. Sure. That being said, interestingly enough, I don't remember as a child watching the show and granted you and I would have missed this window, but the show brings to forefront the fact that they dealt with racism. Mm -hmm. They dealt with, um, assassination. They dealt with divorce. Mm -hmm. They dealt with death as a kid. I don't think, I think I missed some of those episodes because those were earlier on, like the candy assassination. I missed some of that because I wasn't watching it when those things were happening. You and I were in there more in the mid seventies, late seventies type of time frame. Right. So so. it had, it probably was really groundbreaking and really profound during that time period to be mentioning those, those, that kind of subject matter. What I do remember the, the thing about death, I do remember one of his goldfish dies in the aquarium. I remember watching that episode. Mm -hmm. I remember that. I was like, Oh, like, you know, I, I do remember that. So yeah, it, like you were saying, I'll, respond to that you kind of it felt more like a memorial service than a documentary yeah. that being said not that it's not well made oh it's a very very well done film. documentary to memorialize fred rogers memorialize the show and to give us a, a good overview and understanding of the show i just uh, you know i i like documentaries i come away feeling like, like i learned something I didn't feel like I learned a lot here, but I remembered a lot and got a lot of warm feelings from the film. 
you know, which is just as good. Hey, I, sure. I'm, I'm, I'm great with any film I can come out of feeling better about the world, feeling better about people or trying to feel better about the world. Right. So this definitely does that. It's just, again, as a documentary, it's like, I just didn't feel like I learned a whole lot. Well, um, you, know. you and I've talked off air, but how they use some sequences of animation. Oh yeah. And at mm-hmm. first, um, I didn't, I was kind of like, well, that's interesting. Don't really know why they're doing that. But the, you, the more they repeat the animations, uh, Fred Rogers is kind of personified as this little lion or tiger. Yeah. I can't remember which one's the one with stripes, lion or tiger. Uh, tiger, tiger has stripes. Okay, yeah. so <laughs> so um, he's personified kind of as this little you know tiger character, and they always kind of use that as a stand-in for him. And the the little you do learn mm-hmm. about some things of his childhood yeah. and how he would be that puppet on the show, you kind of you're drawing some conclusions on your own, which, sure. you know, usually yeah. a documentary kind of states some more facts and you're mm-hmm. like, okay, I can take this away. But I did find that that was interesting. And like you were sure. saying, I wish there was more of that background. And it's not to say they don't have the interviews. They interview his widow. Yeah. They interview other people that worked on the show. They interview some of his children, yeah. which I think some of their comments might've been more, revealing or eye-opening whether they just hit the cutting room floor or whether they just didn't i don't know i felt like well, you know what say, been i'll made. say this yeah maybe you don't know because you don't know what but it feels like they were there was not enough distance to be willing to maybe infringe on the legacy yeah as about like you know we had talked about with rbg they pointed out she made the slip up where she talked bad about president yeah. trump and she realized after or candidate Trump at that mm-hmm. point and realized, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. And that kind of said, okay, they're not trying to set her up too much on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And while they, you know, not that they were necessarily doing that with Fred Rogers, but they didn't give you enough. He was almost like an angel. They didn't yeah. give him any kind of faults. Well, it's, it's humanizing. Right. That's the thing is I think RBG did a better job of humanizing and educating. Again, I didn't know anything about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, hardly at all. Sure. Yeah, you know, I learned an hour and a half's worth easily. And uh, and I also felt like I got a more of a sense of her being human as opposed to this mythical character, this this Supreme Court justice that we don't know anything about. Fred Rogers, I felt like I kind of knew from the show. Right. And I don't feel like I got to know him a whole lot more with this film. No. Um, I do think the animation sequences were well done. I do think some of the illusions about his childhood were interesting. Sure. Here's what I think would have been really interesting. Okay. There's a there's a point in the in the film where they talk about I think it's close to either the show stopping or maybe his his funeral around then where some people were protesting. Yes. Saying, "Listen, he's hurting our kids. He's treating teaching our kids that they're all special and he's hurting." We didn't really hear anybody talking up those points like from that side of the coin. Right. You know, there was no interviews of somebody saying, this is why I felt like there was some problems or this is why I felt like this was bad for us. And again, whether you had wanted to believe them and agree with them or not, sometimes having that voice in a document like this to show that, yeah, there were some real people who had some real issues with this. And this is how they had to try to get through this. Right. We didn't get that. We got some newsreel footage. We got some photographs and we saw people were protesting, but they were just faceless, nameless entities. And I don't really feel like, we got a sense of there being some true people in this country that did feel like the show was a disservice to children. I mean, I, I'm not one of those, and right. I don't think most people are, but there are some people who felt that way. And I think it would be interesting to have explored that more and to hear from them. RBG, we did hear from some people that were against her politics and against her and kind of 
explained why and explained why they felt like maybe sometimes her actions have been have been damaging to their cause. Right. We didn't really get that in this film. So I would have liked more of that. But, you know, I, I hate being demanding of things I want to see in a documentary about someone <laughs> that did so much good for the right. world, and, and which is such an a, a amazing person. I hate saying, oh, I wish they would have talked about bad stuff about it, too. No, I'm not looking for that. I'm just, sure. I just want to understand more. And I guess that's where I came away feeling like I just didn't understand as much as I wanted. I remembered and I admired. Mm-hmm. I just didn't understand as much as I liked. So, sure. yeah. Okay. So that's Won't You Be My Neighbor. Anything more to add, Chris? I mean, are we no, good? I think we encapsulated. We both say we like it, but maybe um, from a nostalgia standpoint, yeah. it's a strong, higher-rated film than if you, yeah, as far as looking at it as a documentary. Right. So. That's kind of the way I look at it there, for sure. So that's Won't You Be My Neighbor. Uh, was playing at some bigger theaters. I know it was playing in our local multiplex, which was very surprising. I think just the mere fact that, yeah, it was so high rated yeah. and it was getting a lot of buzz. So so hopefully, even if wherever you live, you, you got, maybe got a chance to catch up with this. But if not, I would imagine by fall of this year, it should be available online to check out. So right. I do. I mean, especially if you remember seeing the, kid, the film as a kid or seeing the show as a kid. Yeah. yeah, you need to see this film. It's worth seeing. If you didn't see the, fi- the show, you, you know, for whatever reason... I don't know if you get a lot out of it, but it may be worthwhile if you just want to kind of explore somebody who did have some real influential power on education and child development and television in general. So that's Won't You Be My Neighbor. All right, Chris, we're going to take a really quick break, if that's okay with you. Sounds good. Uh, I got to go fill up my coffee and get ready for the next round. We're going to come back and we're going to do our news items. So we've got a couple things to talk about, some trailers we're going to discuss, uh, ones that were released with uh, in coinciding with the San Diego Comic-Con recently. It'd be interesting to kind of see some thoughts on some of those new trailers, a couple other news items, and then we'll move on to our recommendations for the show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back here on Foot Candle Films. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. We're going to do a little bit of trailer roundup, as Alan teased before the break. Yeah, trailer roundup. <laughs> trailer roundup, right. So there's an event out in San Diego, California, you may have heard of, Comic-Con. And as much as you would think that would be about comic books, which it is. It used to be. Element, <laughs> they also do a lot of, it's a big time of year for them to release TV show teasers or things that they're developing, and also obviously movie trailers. Yeah. So uh, I've got four movie trailers that uh, I think basically came out because of Comic Con. They had a panel afterwards where they mm-hmm. discussed how great the movie was going to be. Uh, so let's discuss a lot those. of exciting insight that comes out of those panel discussions right. uh, about how great their film's going to be and how excited they are to work on it. So <laughs> no, I'm not being snarky at all, but no, it is, no. uh, it is kind of ridiculous watching some of those panels sometimes, but right. yeah. so first one we're going to talk about is the highly anticipated movie that I know Alan and his son are both looking, one of his sons are both <laughs> looking forward to Jason Momoa in Aquaman hitting theaters this December. Yep. So we're not going to have to wait until 2019. This one, nope. This one's coming up, 
Alan, your response to the Aquaman trailer. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> uh, so, all right. The DC universe, of course, which Aquaman resides in. Yeah, we, we were introduced to Aquaman in Justice League, which I, I did not care for. Um, this trailer. I, don't think, yeah, I can blame that on him necessarily. The movie no, was just a mess. I, he seems like an interesting actor embracing this role, but the movie. The movie looks like more of the same from Batman versus Superman and Justice League. I think they try to put a little more emphasis on humor in the trailer, and I just don't think it works. So it's a giant CGI spectacle. I'm sure the last 20 minutes are just going to be a giant underwater CGI battle. Um, not not really interested. Not very excited. Nope. Yeah, I, I'm same boat with you. And I, I really, you know, it's like, I don't know what it would take to fix the DC universe. Although, oh, you know, Wonder Woman works. No, I do. I think we have an idea. And I'll, we'll talk about it in another trailer here. But right? uh, one, Aquaman, like, he is kind of a goofy character. I mean, I get it. You know, so, but if somehow they could embrace that and either make like an, a serious movie or just make it completely, you know, silly, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, but other than those two routes, I don't really know how you can make one that's uh, make a movie about Aquaman that's going to work. And unfortunately, I don't think this one's going to work. Yeah, the the trailer just roll your eyes, roll your eyes bad. Um, but maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe you know, maybe they'll turn it around. But I don't think Aquaman. It's one of the things actually. After Justice League came out. I'm kind of surprised somehow this didn't go straight to DVD or something because it's just, I mean, I guess they spent so much money. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I think they've got a lot writing on it. So they, well, I, (laughs) let me just wrap this up by this one by saying, uh, somebody I follow on Twitter is a guy I knew from college. He's a head writer on Saturday night live. Name's Brian Tucker. He put up a post, which I think is perfect. Uh, he's quoting, pretending like a fake meeting with DC films and the casting director. DC film says, you know, we're finally making an Aquaman movie. The casting director says, great. So I'm looking for a trim blonde guy, right? And the DC film says, no, ask yourself, what would it look like if a professional wrestler opened an incense shop in Portland? (laughs) That's Jason Momoa in this film, so which is true. It's not what you would envision for Aquaman. I admire them for going and doing something different with the way he looks and his character, but... I just, I, I just, I don't have a good feeling about it's this. Just kind of the way that when you saw the Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom trailer, you're like, yeah, that looks like a mess, but maybe something about the trailer, maybe it's gonna, you know, maybe it's gonna redeem itself, you know. And no, the movie was a mess. This kind of gives me the same feeling that this looks like a mess. Well, I don't, so. I, and I didn't come out of the trailer feeling like there was anything redeeming about it. I didn't feel like, <laughs> oh, there may be something interesting here. I'm like, nope. Actually, this trailer probably led me further down the path of saying, yeah, this isn't going to work. My son, who is pretty enthusiastic about a lot of films, my my 11 year old son, goes with me to see just about every big action superhero movie or, or so. Uh, even he, when I mentioned that there was an Aquaman trailer, he's like, ugh. He saw the trailer. He's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not excited. So for my 11 year old to say, nope, I'm not into it. That's their target. Mark. That is. And that's, that's not, that's not good. Not a good so, sign. Yeah. So not to be completely disparaging of the DC universe. Sure. We have given, you know, compliments to wonder woman. The next trailer they released, uh, at comic con that I was aware of came also from DC and it was Shazam. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Alan, thoughts on this trailer? How do you feel about this? I feel infinitely better about DC Films seeing the Shazam trailer than I ever did with the Aquaman trailer. Okay. So Shazam, for those you know don't know, it's actually a young boy is granted kind of a mystical power by some ancient uh, godlike character to where he can at any time utter the word Shazam and he transforms becomes into a superhero. becomes a superhero. He becomes. What's technically is Captain Marvel back in the old DC days, but Marvel has the copyright for the name Captain Marvel. So now they just call him Shazam, which is Shazam was never his name. That's just what he used to become. That's right. But now that's had to become his name because, well, they can't call him Captain Marvel anymore. Anyway, side note on that. Um, This trailer was fun. This trailer had more energy than any of the other DC movies I've seen. I think Wonder Woman was a very, very good DC movie. This one uh, looks really interesting. My curiosity is whether it's going to stick with the whole comedic angle, because that's pretty much all the trailer was, was comedy once Shazam showed up. Right. Um, Or if there's going to be some real stakes and seriousness involved or not. It's basically big, the movie big in the superhero universe. And I'm fine with that. I mean, again, that's that's what Shazam is. That is the story. And I think this looks like a lot of fun. So I'm actually excited for this one. Uh, you know, surprisingly enough, you know, not that I expected to be wowed by the Aquaman trailer because I didn't. But I went in thinking, OK, how are they going to try to make this better after Justice League? And the answer is, well, I don't think it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. Shazam, you talk about low expectations i was like that just sounds ridiculous i mean just shazam just sounds dumb it's like well they even joke about the word like the young boy is told the the name by this ancient character and he hears the word shazam he just starts laughing like are you serious (laughs) so right it's like having fun with it uh, shaquille o'neal made kazam (laughs) so it's kind of like yeah yeah you just can't take it seriously and then I watched, I saw the trailer came out from Comic-Con. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess I'd heard they were doing a movie. And then I watched the trailer, and I kind of fell in the category with you. I'm like, you know, that actually seems kind of fun. Yeah. And if anything, it's like they took, you know, Aquaman. Yeah, that's a ridiculous idea. Let's make a movie. And it's not working. They looked at the ridiculous idea of Shazam and were like, okay, here's how we can do this. And, yeah, if they follow through on what the trailer seems to promise, that it's a lighter type of DC movie where it's kind of, you know, played mm. for laughs and stuff. I think it can work. I'm actually interested in seeing Shazam. Too. Zachary Levy is plays the adult Shazam, the actual character that the young boy turns into. The young boy, uh, uh, Billy Batson, played by Asher Angel, okay. um, who I'm not really familiar with, but I do know that uh, I think his, the, uh, his friend who he lived, uh, is moved into a foster home with, Freddie Freeman is played by Jack Dylan Grazier, who I believe is played in it was in the movie. It one of the kids there. Um, Keep in mind too, Mark Strong is in this as the villain. I think Mark Strong's pretty good. So I typically like Mark Strong. Yeah. Yeah, He's usually pretty good and he can definitely play a villain. So Um, the film is directed by David S. Sam F. Sandberg. And I'm not familiar with him at all. So he has mainly done horror films. Oh yeah, he did uh, the film Lights Out. Do you remember the little short film? And then they did the feature of it. He did both of those. Hmm. He did one of the Annabelle movies. Um, So yeah, he's more of a horror film. So to go from horror to this makes me think that you know, yes, this is going to be primarily comedic and fun and light, but I think there's probably going to be some creepy moments in it too. Just 
uh, my gut feel would be based on his history. So well, I'm, I, I'm excited about Shazam now. I, I am too. And yeah. I never would thought I would be sure. Uh, so I do have to wait until 2019 for that. It's April, yeah, April 2019. Ways. So I'll be interested to see. Maybe it'll wash away whatever the Aquaman. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm saying, okay, listeners, unless you write in and really ask us to give our hard earned money to go see Aquaman, I think Alan and I are probably going to skip it. No, no, I'll probably still go see it. Really? I mean, well, if I, I think still I have, will, if I, think I still I have Movie Pass it. or whatever kind of movie <laughs> Movie Pass thing is, if it's still existence by then, I mean, why not? No, I'm more. I'm curious, but I'm expecting it to be bad. Okay, I, I still may find. I believe me, I've sat through some really bad superhero CGI movies, so I'm. I'll go give it a shake just okay. because that's kind of the person I am. But I may come out just shaking my head. I don't know. Well, if you're going to see it, then I guess I'll have to, But I'm not looking forward to it. No, no. I'm definitely not looking forward <laughs> but, to it. But Shazam, I'm looking forward to. Yeah. And so April 2019 is the release on that. So yeah, yeah, maybe it will wash away the, the taste. <laughs> Following up on that, uh, in May of 2019, we just got a trailer also from Comic-Con of Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Alan, I know you are a big Godzilla fan. We reviewed the new installation of this a couple years ago when it came mm-hmm. out. Um, and so this is the follow-up to that new revitalization of the Godzilla franchise. This has a different director. Um, was Colin Trevorrow, did he do Godzilla? Or? Oh, no, no. It was... Um, Not Trevorrow. No. Oh. Intern? Yeah. What right. do we got? But <laughs> they don't have the same director, which I thought was kind of surprising. Um, the no, the, uh, it's on the tip of Gareth Edwards. Gareth Edwards. Who's Rogue, Rogue One. One. I was like, he's done something and, with Star Wars. And he did that kind of more smaller film Monsters years ago, too. Right. So yeah. kind of surprised that Gareth Edwards is not on this, um, especially yeah. after that one was successful. But mm. Alan, having watched the trailer, what are your feelings on Godzilla, King of the Monsters? So um, I keep oh, refreshing. Hesitance. No, I keep refreshing my browser to see when they will start selling tickets to this film. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm, I'm it's speaking my language and is that language for everybody maybe not but I love this kind of movie I like the fact that they're taking they seem to be taking at least they did with the previous one the Gareth Edwards one a little more of an artistic view uh, a style to it a little more I hate even saying the word grounded in realism because we're talking about a giant walking lizard <laughs> and now a giant moth and a giant dragon but it it is grounded in more reality than you, we've probably seen these films be in past generations. So I'm excited. Uh, I'm yes, I'm probably shamelessly setting myself up for a disaster on this, and I could come away very very disappointed. But I'm liking what I'm seeing so far. They've talked about expanding the Godzilla universe, and this film would obviously do that because at least three kind of historical creatures are being introduced in the trailer. It's got some great actors involved. So I'm excited about that. Kyle Chandler. I think I'll die within the first five minutes. Well, I don't know. Maybe Bradley Whitford, Millie Bobby Brown. I'll be curious to see if she can do anything outside of stranger things. Cause we really haven't seen her do anything else. I am. Yeah. I, I don't Vera Farmiga. Sally Hawkins is in it. Yeah. Kyle Chandler. I mean, I, I count. Consider me excited. I'm I'm really anxious to see what happens here. I did really like the Godzilla from 2015, 16. I don't know. It's been the last three years or so. The Gareth Edwards one I thought right. was really good and fun. So, I'm, I, hey, you had me at giant lizard stomping around the city. <laughs> right. Okay. 
I think I'm going to say for the sake of argument that just like with Mission Impossible Fallout, I think I probably gave the Godzilla probably three stars. It was kind of like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like, you know, yeah. it's it's not memorable, but it's enjoyable. I have a feeling that I'm going to fall in the exact same place with this movie. Could it's be. just not in my wheelhouse. Well, you know? but Chris, I'll so. take a three star out of five feedback from Chris Fry on a Godzilla <laughs> movie so any big. day of the week. Well, so I'll, I'll give you that. If like, you come out with a three, I'll consider that a success. <laughs> I, the warning signs for me, actually the cast of actors is a pretty big warning sign because I think it's instead of content or a convincing story, it's like, well, let's just get a lot of you know famous people so oh, they can be in that. a movie for their kids. Kind of like I felt the first one, there that. was a wasted, there was a wasted actress in the first one um, that I, or maybe it was an actor. I don't know. <laughs> I can't even remember if it was a man or a woman. That's how forgettable. But something happens to them and they're disposed of. And then it was just like they were a really huge name that was touted. So it was like, and they were gone in the first like 10 or 15 minutes. Um, I like that. But yeah, okay. I I understand what you're saying. Well, it's just, yeah. And with this film, it actually was a red flag for me that Millie Bobby Brown is in it at all. Um, because it's like, hey, kids, remember her from Stranger Things? Like, <laughs> you, you've yeah. seen her on TV before. You <laughs> might have seen her in. <laughs> you might have dressed like her for Halloween. Who knows? <laughs> right. so. so that actually, to me, was a little bit of a warning right. sign. Um, I will say, some of the story things that they say in the trailer were as eye-rolling and cringe-inducing as Jurassic World Fallen, oh, no. Fallen Kingdom or whatever. I was just like, oh, come on. However, I will say, the visuals... Of they do of like some silhouettes mm. of different creatures, cinematography wise, mm-hmm. yeah, that stuff does look really uh, cool yeah. and really like beautiful. Some of that stuff. So will I, you know, will I look to see this one? Yeah, probably just because I want to see how they do it. Because unlike Aquaman, I'm at least a little bit interested in it. So yeah, I'm. I'm I had a feeling you were probably going to be just like gung ho excited about it. So yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to plan on joining me for like my third or fourth screening, that might be kind <laughs> of a good idea because the first two I'll be there. I kind of want to watch it on my own. And then, sure. Yeah. So uh, we'll work that out. No, I'm. I'm going into it, unfortunately, setting myself up for a, a, a failure. So I'm. 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 I'm doing it to myself. Sure. I realize that. So <laughs> I will say I went into the the Godzilla, the Gareth Edwards one with moderate expectations not expecting a whole lot and came out really pleased right. this one i'm for, unfortunately going in a little higher so it may, may be bad we'll okay. see so <laughs> saved i guess spoiler what i'm assuming or i think is the best for last they released a trailer for, when you say the best for last are you saying the best trailer for last or just the best topic of discussion for last yes to everything you just really said. okay yeah. um they released a trailer for M. Night Shyamalan's next movie, and you're thinking, oh, dear, M. Night Shyamalan. Well, you remember we reviewed Split, and yeah. Alan, I felt like he was coming back from the brink of <laughs> thinking that every movie he touched was automatically going to be gold. Um, but he he made Split, which we were you know favorable on, had some issues. Fa- you actually issues. liked it better than I did. I did. Which was um, surprising. Which leads up to he released a trailer for his newest film coming out in January. Yeah. Um, Glass. So this is a continuation of characters that he developed way back when, when he was mm-hmm. still making mega movies, Unbreakable with Bruce Willis. Also brings back a character from last year's Split um, in, what's the guy's name? Who's, I uh, can't remember his name. Big actor, but was in Split and played the bad guy. Um, oh, 
Yes, him. <laughs> right, that guy. <laughs> James McAvoy. James McAvoy. So we have James, we McAvoy, James McAvoy, and then we have Bruce Willis's character and Samuel L. Jackson's character from Unbreakable. So Samuel it's a merging of Unbreakable and Split into this new movie. Right, and Glass is the title of the movie and also the name of Samuel L. Jackson's character. So, um, interestingly enough, going you know full-on geek, I remember when we have talked about M. Night Shyamalan in the past and his career. I think you may have recommended Unbreakable at one point. It was actually one of my very first recommendations on this show. And kind of the sorrow that was on your face when you discussed how you really thought it was a good movie and he'd originally conceived it to be kind of a trilogy mm-hmm. and that had fallen by the wayside and too bad because he went on to make signs and Lady in the Water and the last Because nobody Airbender. liked the ending of Unbreakable. So. <laughs> and uh, what's the one that's about the wind blowing in the trees? Um, oh, The Happening. The Happening. Yeah, so, so, Boy, you know, he's, he's, I will say The Happening, probably one of my favorite movie-going experiences in a theater. But not, yeah. But not because the movie was any good. <laughs> that was enjoyable. Yeah, it was. Um, so, you know, yeah, so he's kind of had a little bit of a, a rut, but then he did bounce back with Split, and now he's making Glass. So well, I actually, way, think it, I actually think it started with The Visit. I actually thought The Visit true. was pretty good for a kind of low-budget, real simple, Horror kind film. of not pumped up big, uh, not a lot made of the film. Right. I think that was his turn back. I think he's like, all right, kind of reset, start small, kind of go for the creepy films again, let's build it up. He did The Visit, and then he did Split. And uh, now he's got glass coming out. Um, yeah, and I th- so it's kind of like in a weird way, the original rumor, you know, internet rumor of there supposedly being a trilogy. Maybe this is kind of the fruition of all that. And it yeah. will. I the trailer I thought was awesome. The way it starts, the way it's edited, <laughs> um, the visuals in yeah. the movie look great. You know, I just the poster that they have up on the internet for glass. I'm I am all in. I am excited uh, about it. I am absolutely with you. It's my favorite of the trailers. It's the film of the four that I'm the most excited about. Um, yeah. No, I, I <laughs> yeah. I, I actually watched Unbreakable again. I was thinking about making it my, my recommendation, but I realized it was my recommendation early on in the show, and I don't want to repeat if I can help it. But I will say Unbreakable, I think it's a damn good film. Yeah. And uh, I know people had such an issue with the ending. Right. That, um, yeah, the ending is what people really well really because you think about it he had just come off of the sixth sense right. and blew people's minds with twist ending and all the other stuff right. you go into unbreakable and yeah there is a twist right um but it just ends it ends with a a title i mean a, a, a a, title a, words on the screen yeah. a title card saying what happens next and i could just hear everybody in the theater being like oh are you kidding me and like and then the screen went to credits and everybody's like oh man i felt like i just got so chipped out of this sure I loved it because I'm like, no, this is like the way it would totally happen if these people were really had superpowers in the real world. I mean, this is how it would happen. Um, And it was great. So I actually watched Unbreakable again the other night. Still love it. I think it's probably Shyamalan's best film Mm -hmm. in my mind as far as the one I respond to the most because he takes his time with it. And it's just very it's not it's not concerned about trying to rush things or build up spectacle. It's all about telling the story and letting the story breathe, which is great for me. So I'm terribly excited about glass. I, I split. I was not as enthusiastic as you were. I had some issues with the way uh, it, I think the reason I got a little away from split is because at the end, I felt like they were going a little too comic bush, comic booky and cartoony where I was really happy when it was very grounded and more of a realism. Right. 
My only concern with Glass is I feel like there's a chance they may be amping up the comic book side of it more than I would like. Not that I would say I make it a bad movie, but just what I really respond to in Unbreakable is the realism about mm-hmm. everything. So if they can find a good balance, if he can find a good balance between, yes, it's three people that have some belief that they're superheroes or these abilities and still some grounded in real realism, then I think it would really work. So you know, I, I'm very excited. I think amping up comic bookiness maybe wouldn't bother me too much, but I will say, you know, I, I hadn't thought I had any reservations. I was all hype. But sitting here talking to you, the one thing that I think could easily ruin it, and I think it would be amazing if he decided not to do it, just make this movie. We kind of already know these characters. Make it, have it end, and don't try to do a twist. Just have it be standard. Because you've already got your interesting people that, you know, you've – you know, you, you've developed and everything, and like we get it. We don't need a twist to make this movie interesting. Like we already know the storylines of everybody because we've seen two entire movies about them. So just, just make. You know what I mean? Like that could be my cringe moment. Is if I hear there's a surprise about like, oh no, you know, like why not just make you know make a movie stand on its own? So if he puts one in there, I guess and it works. Awesome. He's back to his original formula. But I don't know. I guess that would be my one reservation. But other than that, I'm like you. I'm I'm pretty hyped. I can't well, wait for January. That or if um you know, if it's part of a if it is part of a trilogy and it tries to leave on a cliffhanger or something uh, like that. I mean like trying to do the whole shared universe thing more, that that could be a concern too. Um I don't know. I'm <laughs> The only thing that's wrong with this whole situation is that we're getting a lot of hype built up for this film. True. Where Split didn't have any hype. Right. Unbreakable had hype, and I think that's what caused people to not respond to it very well. Sure. Split, I don't think really had any hype. If anything, it had negative hype. It's like, right, it's oh, like, oh coming out with another movie. doing something kind of you know, like, look at what uh, James McAvoy's doing. It looks kind of ridiculous and right. all. But then you see it, and you're like, yeah, okay, it worked. Um, this one's going in with a lot of anticipation now. Right. That could be bad. So yeah. we'll, we'll definitely see. Um, if you get a chance, you need to check out um, Alex Ross. I don't know if you're familiar with him as an artist. He is a comic book artist. He does a lot of covers of comic books. Okay. And they're all painted, like okay. painted art. Okay. And he did a painted art poster for Glass, the movie. Hmm. It's Awesome. Okay. I'll show it to you after the, after the show, because okay. it's not really, you know, you as listeners can't really <laughs> see what I'm saying. My only concern is I'm looking at some of the images in this poster and kind of gives me a little bit of a feel of maybe where they're going with the film. It could be interesting. So, so not, not spoiler. No, no, no. It's not spoiler. I, I don't think so at all, but okay. it kind of gives you a little bit of a tone of where they're going. And I think that's interesting. So, hmm. um, yeah, no, I'm in, in terms of excitement level for the four trailers you just gave me. Right. Uh, Aquaman is least. <laughs> um, I will say Godzilla is still a big bump up from Aquaman, but still third of the list because I probably feel like I'm I'm hyping it up more in my head than I should be. Suzanne so is actually second because I'm generally interested in seeing what they do with it. Okay. And then Spl- uh, Glass is, yes, definitely my most anticipated, eager after watching these trailers. Okay. Cool. My ranking... I think is that the exact same with the exception of <laughs> Glass and Shazam are way up and then Godzilla and <laughs> I've got Godzilla as a down, tight third sure. <laughs> with the other two sure. where uh, you, you, you push Godzilla down further down the list. So 
So that's my contribution to the news segment. Yeah, Alan, very nice. I've got one first. other item. Okay. I know we, we, we spent a lot of time on the trailer, so I don't want to kind of go too long on this stuff. But I do have one, um, one interesting storyline. Okay, Chris, there were two Charlie's Angels movies made. Back Charlie's in the Angels early 2000s. And Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Yes. Both directed by Mick G. Mick G. Right. Mm-hmm. Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore, and Lucy Liu. Yes. Okay. And I've with, actually seen um, both of them. With uh, Bill Murray as Bosley. Correct. So, would it surprise you? And I'm yes. sure the answer is no. <laughs> would it surprise you that if they were going to reboot Charlie's Angels? Okay. No. I yeah. was going to say, yes, it would surprise me if they were doing a third installment and no. all the same people are no. on there. And I'm that's like, yeah, happening. that's pretty surprising. No, they are rebooting. Okay. Now that by itself, oh, that, and they're all going to be guys. No. So Charlie's angels, the person behind the microphone that you never see will be like <laughs> Melissa McCarthy. But then all the other people will just be like, yes. Awesome. It would actually be pretty good. It's like the reverse ghostbusters. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Write your letters of uh, controversy to us now. Right. So, um, so, okay, normally if you show me a headline as I'm flipping through movie news and it says, Charlie's Angels reboot, I'd be like, eh, okay, moving on. Right. But a couple things jumped out I thought okay. were interesting. One, the director, Elizabeth Banks. She's the actress, okay. comedian. She, she did the uh, she did like the movies, Pitch Yeah, she did, one, she did one of the recent Pitch Perfect. I don't, I don't know, know if she, she did directed, all of them. But she was in it? She was she, in it, but she did direct one of okay. them. Okay. She absolutely did direct one of them. I just don't remember which one. Okay. But, uh, of course, she's an actress, Wet Hot American Summer. She's had a lot of other parts. She was in the uh, Brian Wilson film, right. that Love, Love and Mercy, Mercy. which we, mm-hmm. I think we both liked. We did. Um, she's directing it, and she's also going to be one of the uh, play one of the parts. She's not playing one of the angels. Okay. She's playing Bosley. So Bosley is getting gender swapped okay. in this film. But the angels are still angels. They're <laughs> okay. still females. Sure. Uh, and two of the names... I really couldn't tell you anything about is one Kate of them McKinnon is one of them. No. No. One of them is Naomi Scott. She's supposedly going to be in that uh, live action Aladdin film that they're making for Disney. Okay. Uh, another one is Ella Belinsky, which I know absolutely nothing about. But the third one, Kristen Stewart. Oh. Now that in itself got me a little interested because I will say, even though she's doing outright comedy, well, I don't know. If, I don't even think action. this is going to be comedy. Okay. I think this is going to be a straight. I think they're going to go more serious with this. Huh. None of the three of them are comedians. Okay. Elizabeth Banks has comedy has chops, comedy. but she's not one of the three lead actresses. So uh, they may be going pretty serious on this. Who knows? Hmm. But Kristen Stewart, I mentioned Kristen Stewart just because I think she's made some interesting choices and in roles in the last several years. Oh, absolutely. And she hasn't done junk in quite a while since she walked away from the Twilight, <laughs> Twilight stuff. stuff. Everything else she's Which, done. Why wouldn't she finish those? Because that was huge paychecks. Exactly. So, but yeah. since then, right. she's done worked with a lot of independent filmmakers, a lot of auteurs, done some really personal shopper. Yeah. Um, she was in Adventureland. Um, what's the one she did with? Um, oh, shoot. I'm drawing a blank. But anyway, interesting films yeah. all the way around. So to hear that she's going to be set with these other two interesting actresses to play Charlie's Angels. Oh, it's kind of interesting. And what the synopsis they're already saying, even though they're just now working on the film, is that it's going to be focusing on the next generation of angels still working for the mysterious Charlie. But since then, the agency has grown considerably and gone global, providing security and intelligence services to a wide variety of private clients with offices worldwide. 
So this film will focus on one of those teams. Again, a lot of interest to it just because Elizabeth Banks is a director. You think comedy, but then you think Kristen Stewart. If they do go comedy, how is Kristen Stewart going to do with comedy? And how do you make that work? It seems like that premise set up is just so they can have the original angels make a cameo because it's like, you know, these, this is a division of them. Could be. But also Kristen Stewart getting back into what probably is being talked about as a franchise type thing again. So that's another interesting twist on it. So again, not anything I normally would have called to our attention, but when I saw the couple names attached to it, I'm like, all right, there could be something here. Fair enough. Full disclosure. I like the first Charlie's angels with Mick G. I had a fun time with that movie. It was dumb. It it was, was, it was kind of like over the the top. But it was fun. Yeah, it was kind of like a 21 Jump Street. It was. And thing. I had a really good time with it. I thought, yeah. and actually thought, um, who was it? Um, who, was, who played the bad guy in that? Was it Sam Rockwell? Yeah, Sam Rockwell. And he okay. was so good in that. Yeah. You just had a, a good time. Now, I don't even remember seeing the second one. I couldn't tell you anything about it. I did see it, but, but I don't um, remember anything about it. I mean, I'm sorry, but with that first one, the McG one, you start a film with LL Cool J who turns out to be one of the angels in disguise on an airplane jumping out of it. I mean, sorry, it started out ridiculous and it just stayed fun the whole film. So I had a good time with it. Fair enough. Um, All right. I think that's enough news. We've talked about a lot of interesting upcoming films that we'll be keeping our eyes on. Um, You know, I also invite our, our listeners. If you have an interesting film project you hear that's coming down the pike that you want us to talk about or, or give some comments on, send us a note. Let us know. We'd love to address it in the news section. So, Chris, let's wrap up with our recommendations. Uh, this is where, in the show, Chris and I always try to leave the episode with one recommendation of a film that we think you ought to check out or go back and revisit if you haven't had a chance. I will go ahead and tell you, Chris, I'm struggling. Uh-oh. I uh, I have gone through my movie list, and I think I've recommended all the films I really want to recommend uh-huh. that we haven't talked about, so I don't know where else to go. <laughs> so I'm kind of cheating on mine a little bit, but let me let me have you do yours first. Okay. Um, what, well, what's your recommendation? So I'm going to recommend a film from 2014, uh, A Most Violent Year. Actually, I think it was released maybe oh. in January, so it just skipped. But um, Most Violent Year, it's billed as a crime drama thriller. And when I saw the trailers for it, it's stars Oscar Isaac, which mm. I do like him, and Jessica Chastain, but it just seemed to be a very formulaic crime drama thriller, and so mm-hmm. I wasn't really interested in it. The plot synopsis is it takes place in New York in 1981, New York City, and an ambitious immigrant, who would be Oscar Isaac in this part, fights to protect his business and his family during the most dangerous year in the city's history. So there's just a lot of crime, a lot of mafia activity, a lot of stuff going on. So the movie just, you know, I was kind of like, eh, I don't feel like I need to see that. Now, obviously I'm recommending it. Having seen it, it's basically like The Sopranos, except instead of Satrial's Meat Place and a strip club, you're doing oil, because that's mm. heating oil is what this guy's trying to, you know, make his business survive okay. on. So, and I guess it's maybe loosely based on somebody that this was happening to, hmm. not really sure. Um, it is interesting, and Oscar Isaac gives a really good performance um, a lot of the shots even remind me, reminded me of the Sopranos because he's driving across bridges in a car and you see him through the window and it's just mm. very similar type cinematography going on. Sure. But the movie did chug along. Um, it's, I recommend it. It's over two hours long, but I felt like it moved pretty fast. It's not an action movie, but it is kind of, you're wondering what's going on and it is pretty intense. Um, I will say one of the things that kind of sticks out too is there's a sequence where 
um, his trucks that are carrying all this really expensive oil keep getting stolen. And he's kind of like, what's going on here? And it creates a lot of tension. Well, at one point, he sees one being stolen, and he chases after it. And that chasing of a car chasing a giant tanker mm-hmm. <laughs> is and it's not even that long, but it's pretty intense. And um, I'd never seen anything quite like that. Um, wow, interesting. So, yeah, A Most Violent Year with Oscar Isaac, I guess, if you're an Oscar Isaac completist as well <laughs> and want to see a lot of his work. Yes, we um, know you're out there, some of you. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, you have I your checklist. I, can, I think I've seen most of everything he's been in. So that was the other reason I was like, wait, there was that film that came out that I was kind of like, eh, I should check it out. And I was pleased. Wasn't there a trailer last night in front of? There's a new movie that he's coming out doing about like a World War II. Yeah. Like he's right. tracking down a um, a former member of the the Third yeah. Reich. Yeah. yeah. That's what I was thinking. So, yeah. okay, good. A Most Violent Year. Mm-hmm. I've not seen it. Uh, it's been kind of one of those floating on my watch list for a really long time so i'll have to try to check that out now with that recommendation okay so like i said chris my recommendation i am cheating because okay. honestly i'm struggling i've got to somehow i need to go back and really dig into what movies i've actually really seen in the past because my letterbox list is letting me down right now all the uh. ones basically i've tried to say any film that i give at least a three and a half or more stars to that we haven't talked about in the show we didn't review together already is fair game for the recommendations. Gotcha. I'm kind of running thin. Any of the ones I've got left are like big films that people know and just there's no point in me coming back and recommending it. (laughs) So I'm cheating. We talked about Mission Impossible Fallout earlier in the show and I I had a good time with it. thought it was fun. But during the conversation, I mentioned how Mission Impossible 3 is my favorite. Okay. I did go back and watch some of Mission Impossible 3 the other night to see if my opinions of it still hold up okay fair enough. because you know all these comp- groups are putting out these lists of rating sure. ranking the mission impossible movies variety i tell you variety I, I i read your news every day i think you're a great news source but you put out a list of the mission impossible films rating ranking them and you put mission impossible three last really yeah so That's let's surprising. talk about that for a second i went back and watched it the other night in preparation for fallout and just because yeah, I remember it being really good and one of my favorites. Does it have some issues? Sure. Uh, but I'll tell you what, for a first-time directorial effort for a film by Mr. J.J. Abrams, who had been doing TV with Felicity and Alias up until that point, and I still say the best Mission Impossible villain, I say probably one of the better villains of an action movie in any franchise. Wow. Philip Seymour Hoffman, I think, is wonderful in this role. Okay. Um the film just has a really great style to it. You know, you imagine the, these Mission Impossible movies. You start out with Brian De Palma's film, which is all about spy, intrigue, and all that. Confusing, but spy, intrigue, got it nailed down. Then it went to John Woo, and it was all just action. Just no, throw away all that Mission Impossible stuff we remember. Let's just get Tom Cruise on a motorcycle looking badass and fighting people. <laughs> Mission Impossible 3 was kind of to right the ship a little bit. Let's get it back on this path of it is truly like an intelligence agency and we actually go out and do these missions and we're spies and all that. So I think it gets all that right. And also the fact that it humanizes Ethan Hunt probably more than we've seen in any other film. He's got a wife. He's got a life that he's kind of stepped away from the spy game to be more of a, I think, an instructor. His wife doesn't really know what he does during the day. She thinks he does something different. Um, it's an interesting film and I will say the whole scene, uh, and I think it's maybe taking place at the Vatican or around there, but it's like a big party scene 
with them trying to basically swap out Philip Seymour Hoffman and try to pose as him using their the whole face mask technology. It's the best version of that in any of these films where you actually see them doing what they need to do to really enact this really complex plan. But they're also being human while they're doing it. I don't know, just something about it. J.J. Abrams just gets how to make people seem human with their dialogue and with how comfortable they are with one another as friends. Um, The movie just works for me. Um, It loses some of its steam towards the end. The ending is not as impactful as it could be. Um, But I think it's a really, really well done action film. One of my favorites and definitely the best of the series as far as I'm concerned. So if you go see Fallout and you haven't seen Mission Impossible 3, go back and check it out and see if see if all that super praise for this new Mission Impossible is really saying it's the best of all time. Uh, just go back and see number three and tell me what you think for sure. Um, I think it's got a lot going for it. So so now I just got to figure out what to recommend for next episode, Chris. I've got to go back got, and really just check. Time. I got to go back and check out some older films that I've, I've seen and refresh my memory on some of these. So, All right. Well, that's our show for today. So we had recommendations of most violent year. Chris recommended. I recommended Mission Impossible 3. For those of you that have just checked out Fallout and want to see what I consider to be maybe slightly better uh, Mission Impossible film. And then, of course, we had our reviews of Mission Impossible Fallout and Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Mr. Rogers Neighborhood documentary. And then some news items, a lot of trailers we went through and talked about. It sounds like we got some interesting films we're going to be keeping our eye on going forward. So, Chris, we've thrown a lot of content out there, a lot of opinions, a lot of thoughts. If somebody agrees or disagrees with anything we said at any course in the show, how should they go about getting a hold of us? Best way is to send an email at info at themesh.tv and just mention Foot Candle Films in the subject line and tell us what we got wrong, why Aquaman is going to be the greatest movie of all time with the greatest stunt effects by Jason Moore. Aquaman overtakes Mission Impossible right. Fallout of the best action movie of all time. Right. Because I'm sure all the stuff in the trailer was actual stunts. I'm oh, sure yeah, none yeah. of that no, was CG. They actually did were underwater for yes, all those Yes, all scenes. those creatures are real yep. too. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yes, info at themesh.tv is a good way to uh, let us know what you think of the show. Also, if you happen to be in iTunes for whatever reason, we would always appreciate a rating, a star rating, because it helps us reach more listeners. And also, big, big news, of course, Foot Candle Film Festival, which will be September 28th through the 30th. Go to footcandlefilmfestival.com. We have our lineup on there, so you can look at the films that we'll be bringing in September. We've got 37 films, 26 shorts. Uh, some narratives, some documentaries. It's going to be a great time. We're going to have filmmakers come in to have a Q&A after their films. Should be a lot of fun. We're looking forward to it. It's the fourth go-round this time, so we're thinking it's going to be even bigger and better than the first three. So we're really looking forward to it. We encourage you to come join us if you can. Yeah, it's going to be a great weekend in uh, western North Carolina. And we do encourage you, like I said, like we said, it's your fourth year. So we're excited. What what we we say, 37 films? 38 films or 37, 38. Yeah. Close to 38 films that we're sharing over the course of really three to four days of a festival weekend. And, uh, it's going to be great. We're excited about it. Yeah. As Chris said, footcandlefilmfestival.com is where you want to go to not only see lineup, but probably by the time you're reading this, uh, tickets may be on sale as well too. So we're pretty close to it anyway. So go and check it out. If they're not, uh, by early part of August, they will be on sale. So we encourage you to go check them out and come join us if you can. We'd love to have you. And if you are going to come into town for the festival, 
for any reason, one day, the whole weekend, whatever, drop us a note and let us know because we, we'd love to meet anybody who's coming from outside of the area, especially if any of our listeners are wanting to join us. Um, let us know. We'd love to find out and kind of make sure we uh, get a chance to meet you when you come out. So, Absolutely. All right. Chris, well, I guess we will go ahead and wrap up the show. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And this has been Foot Candle Films here on the TV, our podcast network. Encourage you to check out other shows on the Mesh Network as well. That's themesh.tv. And we will talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.